Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I don't, I don't know if cannabis will be a solution, but I think that there's enough anecdotal reports to warrant very serious research in this area. The government has already decided for us that cannabis has no medical benefit by putting it in Schedule 1. Hey folks, Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind podcast here. Thanks so much for coming back and joining us. Super appreciate it. Your time will not be wasted today. We've got an, a really interesting guest, uh, Dr. Sue Sisley. I hope I said that right. Uh, we'll find out in a moment. <laughs> right. Sue, um, but, hey, wait, before we get started, man, I'm jumping right into this. Before we get started, my team has always on me to ask you to go rate our podcast at iTunes. So go to iTunes. Rate the podcast with 15 or 20 stars, however many they give you, so that we can pop up there and people can find us. Okay. And also, um, if you're not on our email list, please go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast and drop your name there. Okay. So, Sue, did I get your name right? Is it Sisley or Sisley? Sisley, but that's still good. It's all right. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for your time. So, so Dr. Sisley, you are involved in studying uh, PTSD and trying to find better solutions than the typical narco solutions of our establishment, right? Is that, what, is that your mission in life right now? That's, yeah, that's our hope that we can uncover new treatments. The government, surprisingly, uh, is, I don't see any real uh, tangible initiatives from, the, mm. from our government to help um, address this epidemic of veteran suicide. That's it's amazing crazy. that you know, this is a real public health crisis, and right. and I don't I don't know if cannabis will be a solution, but I think that there's enough anecdotal reports to warrant very serious research in this area, and I'm yeah. shocked that the government has systematically impeded this work over so long. Well, I, I'm not shocked. Uh, I don't think any of the listeners <laughs> would be shocked. We're more um, excited that, you know, there's some movement here. So let's be clear. You want to use, you want to study marijuana as, as a, um, a method of recovery for PTSD victims. Yeah, we, okay. we were hoping that cannabis will prove to help with symptom control for symptom. PTSD. And okay. that's what the vets have been claiming for many years now. And we mm-hmm. hope to put that notion through the rigors of a randomized controlled trial. Okay. And you've just gotten approval for this trial, right? Through the, who would it be? The FDA? The, who's yeah, well, you won't believe that? there's so many layers of uh, gov- federal, uh, you know, actually, Layers of of government, how do you say, government red tape that are required at, at all levels of the government. So it's it's even though it's a federally regulated trial, mm-hmm. there's so many areas where the government can intervene to stonewall this work. So we mm-hmm. actually, well, me and sponsor Maps, which is a nonprofit based out of Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. They have just done an incredible job for 
you know, two decades now trying to battle the barriers to cannabis efficacy research. And and so they submitted the study design seven years ago, and we got FDA approval back in April of 2011. And Mm -hmm. there was tons of media coverage hailing, you know, the celebrating the fact we we're finally going to get to study cannabis for PTSD. And here we are, you know, it, it's seven years later hmm. uh, since the, submitting the study and we still can't enroll our first veteran. And hmm. so it just shows you the myriad ways that the government can, can, can this work. So right. I, you know, wow. Well, let's just back up a little bit because you you called PTSD, especially amongst military, uh, an epidemic, and and I have anecdotally heard about you know vets you know get going into the VA system and getting opioids and then getting addicted to the opioids, which kind of locked them in their cycle of depression and and of you know whatever maladies that are are psychologically troubling them, and. And then suicide. So, what are some of the stats? What are what is this? What's the magnitude of this problem? I it, it, it's pretty immense, and I think what you're just the polypharmacy seems to be contributing the most. That you know these guys come back from service and they get put through the gauntlet of all these different medication trials because mm-hmm. you know it's rare that the first prescription works and right. so and and you know in medicine we haven't come very far we just we keep treating every target symptom with mm-hmm. a different prescription so in PTSD you've got such it's such a complex constellation of different symptoms if you mm-hmm. read DSM-5 you see there's you know 14 or 15 different criteria listed so all these different symptoms that the vets will come in complaining about Everything from chronic sleep deprivation to flashbacks, nightmares, anxiety, paranoia, all of it. And so each one of those gets a different prescription. And that's how suddenly these guys snowball over the course of a year. They could Mm. snowball onto eight, 10, or 12 different prescriptions, um, all, all to treat this single syndrome. And that's why we're all, you know, my team is completely intrigued by the notion that a plant could target the entire syndrome instead of having take so many different meds that you might be able to use the plant as monotherapy is really mm-hmm. impressive. Um, but all remains to be tested. So I want to emphasize right. that I'm not going into this with the notion that this works. I believe the veterans and all the PTSD sufferers when they, I believe their subjective reports when sure. they claim that they're benefiting, but in in medicine, we're trying yeah. not to really embrace an idea until it's put through the serious right. controlled trial. If you want it to be taken seriously, obviously, it's got to it's got to go that route. What are the yeah. subjective benefits that are being re- reported by the vets? Well, I would say the the most common symptom that vets claim are being addressed by the plant is the sleep problem that mm. they, that cannabis seems to help them initiate sleep and therefore suppress all those awful nightmares and flashbacks that Mm. they live with um, afterwards. So that's really crucial. You know, that seems to be the hardest time when vets are alone in bed, um, with alone with their thoughts in their head, these horrific, dark thoughts that constantly swirling through their head that they 
can't seem to suppress, no mm-hmm. with anything. So the meds that we give them just really serve to try to sedate them, and then they end up feeling so sluggish and like zombies. You know, they're just completely non-functional, and especially when it comes to multiple meds, all with these drug interactions, and, you know, it's it, they and, and then it's just demoralizing. Overall, these guys feel like guinea pigs. They're just... Right being put through, you know, putting, being pummeled with all these different meds. And, you know, the mo- most common, so in, in addition to the, the sleep deprivation, flashbacks, nightmares, that, that results then in all these daytime symptoms like anxiety, you know, feeling fearful in public places, mm-hmm. especially because they anticipate all these triggers around them, whether, right. whether it's loud noises or seeing uh, people bumping into them, you know, low crowds. They, it's hard for them to manage. They said they feel the hypervigilance, we call it, where they mm-hmm. constantly on guard all the time. And, and then just an overall kind of malaise, depression um, that comes from just feeling hopeless that they're never going to be able to overcome these symptoms that they're grappling with every day. So I think, um, and there's many more symptoms that they describe, but those are common and, and the most discouraging. And mm-hmm. that's why we see this epidemic of veteran suicide, because after going through conventional treatment, you know, they go to the VA, they get put on, they, they get pounded with meds, then they get put through all this psychotherapy, you know, that in theory is supposed to work, right? If you read the mm-hmm. articles, it says cognitive behavioral therapy is mm-hmm. of an effective treatment for PTC, but these guys try to engage in it. They get highly impatient because, mm-hmm. you know, therapy doesn't work in a, a week or a month. You mm-hmm. got to do this relentlessly mm-hmm. over a year or two. So it's tough for them to engage that long. And a lot of them, it's easier to just turn to substance abuse or other more immediate solutions like ending their life. The problem isn't really cognitive. It's deep subconscious. It's it's a nervous system crisis, right? And it's emotional trauma. And and you you know you know cognitive therapy doesn't really work. I mean a deep somatic therapy could help, you know, I, I just see how there's much wiser ways to go about this. What what are the numbers though? Like just help me understand how many of these poor men and women who've gone and served our country are involved in committed suicide or are in desperate straits from PTSD or both. Those are two different populations, I guess. Right, right. I would say, you know, they the, the latest data, depending on where you read, but, you know, on average it looks like about one in five um, servicemen and women who come back end up having, uh, end up being diagnosed with PTSD. So then that doesn't really capture, though, all the other folks who were mm-hmm. symptomatic but never report and never get right. diagnosed. So right. so it, it's probably considerably higher. And then in the general population, it's also a very massive problem because there's so many different traumas that people are faced with beyond, mm-hmm. you know, besides military, everybody, mm-hmm. whether it's rape or mm-hmm. all, all kinds of different muggings, all of these terrorist attacks, right. you know, all kinds of things that are happening now. So people, you know, everybody's threshold for developing PTSD is different. Right. So, you know, right. that's what they talk about in military. What's the resilience of 
mm-hmm. people and they come in and how do people avoid this problem but we don't have good research on this yet to really mm-hmm. prevent this so we're stuck with trying to manage it after and mm-hmm. you know i i think you know there's a lot of new treat you know medically active plants that are banned by our government that seem to have potential in treating ptsd whether it's ayahuasca ivogaine all kinds of plants that uh, we're not allowed to mm-hmm. to study easily in this country but but they could have but yeah. that veterans are discovering on their own. So that's why I'm so yeah, proud I, of the veterans community, you know, for for yeah. taking the initiative that without them we wouldn't be anywhere with this study. They're the ones who've stood kind of side by side with us fighting to help us move forward and get the study over all these ridiculous bureaucratic hurdles because they know that, you know, they, they have a high skepticism of the government mm-hmm. and their motivations to suppress this kind of research. So they've right. been working with us shoulder to shoulder to get this uh, underway. Right. I, uh, I mentioned uh, when we talked briefly yesterday that I, I met a guy who has a, a program that he has to run in Mexico, and he's actively working with vet, vets and having tremendous success using ibog- ibogaine and ayahuasca. And also uh, some some other things, and, and combining it obviously with yoga and meditation and healthy eating, yeah. and, you know, all, all a very integrative, holistic approach. But he he claims that these kind of natural shamanic type experiences using like ayahuasca have a, a powerful effect at kind of resetting um, the nervous system and like reframing cognitively, completely reframing the experience of the vet which has a dramatic effect on the recovery process, like accelerating it greatly. So it is often, but he can't do it in the United States, of course, because it's all illegal, just like, you know, what you've experienced with, (laughs) with, uh, with cannabis. Fascinating. Yeah. How did you get interested in in doing this type of work? What's your specific background and path toward this study? Well, it's, I credit the veterans with um, teaching me about this because I was completely blocked when it com- came to the idea of cannabis as a medicine. I had never been exposed to that mm-hmm. notion because I'm trained in a very conservative medical model mm-hmm. where you don't value anything as a medicine until it's put through the FDA drug development process. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, when they, these vets would reluctantly disclosed to me that they were using cannabis to treat a variety of medical conditions, not just PTSD. I was highly judgmental and dismissive, and Mm. finally I started to listen. They never gave up on me. These guys just (laughs) kept, you know, trying to persuade me, and they'd bring in family members who would also corroborate the story and talk about how they got their, you know, wives would say, I got my husband back. Mm. And they would describe really compelling sagas about how what they were dealing with pre-plant and after plant. Mm. And these were very credible historians. I mean, these weren't, you know, guys with long histories of drug addiction. And this was, these were high-functioning, you know, happy, productive vets who were talking about using cannabis. Often they would just use it nightly to help mm-hmm. initiate sleep and then they would be completely high functioning throughout the next day mm. and they were always very lucid and sensible and I was like, wow, there's 
something. And then I was really fortunate then to be able to team up with MAPS, who has done, you know, some of the most important research on primarily on psychedelics, Mm -hmm. so on drugs that are in Schedule 1, whether it's MDMA, they're doing, you know, groundbreaking work on using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy to help address PTSD and and uh, what, what they're proving. MDMA? Is there... Oh yeah, MDMA is the chemical term for um for ecstasy, you know, the oh. street drug oh. ecstasy or E and um it's uh it was very surprising to me to look at the data. They they've gone through already FDA phase 2 trials with this in in, men, in one study they showed over 80% re- remission of of symptoms mm. and that you know I can't achieve that with any of the conventional meds it's very mm. rare that any standard meds will put PTSD into remission they might you know kind of buffer the symptoms a little bit but MDMA just uh, even with just a few sessions and it's not just taking I want to make sure to emphasize it's not folks just taking MDMA it's right. a MDMA assisted psychotherapy so they dose the those a purified MDMA that's given to them through the study protocol. It's a, a, a much probably much smaller and mm-hmm. uncontaminated than the, what you would get on the street. But it but then they go into I think it's you know ten or twelve hour very intensive psychotherapy mm-hmm. session where they you know the the medicine continues to alter their thinking and through that process they're. There's a co-therapy model. A man and a woman work with them, talk them through their what they're experiencing, mm-hmm. and and in just a few sessions, you know, they were proving that these veterans were had no detectable symptoms even three or you know e- even years later, mm. which was really astounding. So now the FDA has allowed them to go into phase three trials, which mm-hmm. are beginning all over the U.S. and. Yeah. And so that's what I, I've been so fortunate to know them because they have proven that through perseverance, scientists can do this work. And mm-hmm. and most scientists would have given up, you know, quickly after mm-hmm. being, you know, running into one blockade after another. But these guys are demanding action from the guy, and they're doing it with through the process of having some of the most superior scientists in the country. And, and using the the current, you know, h- highly bureaucratic pathways, but mm-hmm. but just never giving up, and that's why I think the veterans community they have such a a big following there because the vets realize that that kind of determination on on their behalf. I mean, these guys are mm-hmm. really serious about finding new treatments for this, and much more so than big pharma that's just mm-hmm. trying to continue to throw, you know, pour more pills down their throat. Now, MAP, is there a a bigger name behind that acronym? Oh, yeah. It's Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. So, you (laughs) know, yeah. So that's why it's maps.org is their website if anyone wants to take a look at there. So they look at everything from MDMA to ayahuasca to... um, They've done observational studies on ibogaine and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. So take a look at that. Hey, folks. I want to take a moment to let you know about a product I've been using over the past month or so. I don't do this very often, but there's a few products that I think 
that you need to know about, and this is one of them. It's called the Clean Energy Patch. It's basically a cleaner way to get energy without using energy drinks like Rockstar or you know, Red Bull or those, those shots that come in the little plastic bottles. Those things just rot your gut. The Clean Energy Patch, however, you just slap it on your arm and it slowly energizes you or keeps you energized throughout the day. Originally designed for athletes and military members to boost performance naturally without those side effects like jitters and dehydration, which are going to degrade your performance. And let me tell you what, it does what it says. I was so impressed with it that I asked if they'd be willing to give a discount to you, listeners of this podcast, so you can try it too. So Clean Energy Patch is offering a 20% discount to all Unbeatable Mind listeners on your first order. Use the code UNBEATABLE2016 at www.cleanenergypatch.com to take advantage of the offer. And check out the show notes below for more information. Tell us about the DEA and you know the roadblocks that they threw up. Because it sounds like FDA was all for it, but the other alphabet soup agencies weren't. Yeah, that's a, it was a big surprise that the FDA worked so collaboratively with us, uh, you know, because they're physician investigators. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're curious to see this plant put through the proper drug mm-hmm. development process. And mm-hmm. so they helped us, you know, really went back and forth over a short time, and we had approval from them relatively quickly. But um, it was, yeah, then it, we spent another five years after that trying to hurdle all the other layers of government red tape. The most onerous, I would say, was that public health service approval. PHS oh, right. is another department of HHS that, you know, was a redundant, you know, added review that occurs after we've already obtained FDA approval. Hmm. And it took us three years to get through that process that didn't require at the end of three years they never required any protocol changes they didn't even you know so it was clear that this is just another way another strategy the government created to impede this kind of research and it doesn't have you know if you're doing safety studies and looking at harmful side effects of cannabis those studies get green lighted quickly they get all the NIDA fund, you know, the government funding from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Mm-hmm. They get all the cannabis they could ever dream of. Hmm. And But if you dare say you want to study efficacy of cannabis, those are the studies that get impeded. And our study was a great example. So after three years of stonewalling, PHS finally sent a, an approval letter. But during those three years, 24,000 veterans killed themselves in this country and we wonder if cannabis could have helped some of these guys reduce their suffering so Mm. but then after you know coming through that phs review then you have to deal with the dea because they have the only they have a a monopoly on the only federally legal supply of cannabis Mm. for any of these FDA approved trials or any trial, any any experimental design. So you can't just you cannabis. can't just walk into a shop in Colorado and and pick up <laughs> some cannabis no. to use in your study, huh? Yeah, no, that's the challenge. Is it's the only Schedule One drug that has to deal with this bizarre monopoly. So if NIDA, you know what they've done back in 1968, they granted University of Mississippi the sole license to grow cannabis for this research. Hmm. Um, So Mississippi 
has this privilege through NIDA. And if NIDA doesn't like your study because you're, you know, in our case, we're studying efficacy of cannabis. We're looking at safety and efficacy in the Mm -hmm. same study. But the government has already decided for us that cannabis has no medical benefit by putting it in Schedule 1. And so the government that doesn't understand why you would want to study efficacy. They've already told you that it doesn't have, you know. (laughs) Of course, they know, right. So this is the challenge, um, and that's part of the objection we have with the scheduling of controlled drugs. And the, the DEA is the one who decides where controlled drugs are scheduled. They def- they created the schedule, and they put cannabis in the category, uh, Schedule 1, of most dangerous drugs in the world, and that's... Um, so it's up there with, with heroin and, and um, yeah. other things like heroin, that. Heroin, LSD, MDMA, LSD. magic mushroom, all of it. And the problem is that there's no sound scientific evidence that it belongs there. Right. Um, and, and that's what people have been confused. You know, we've been misled by our government for so many mm-hmm. decades now to believe that it actually belongs. But this is the problem when you have law enforcement professionals de- mm-hmm. deciding on the medical benefits of mm-hmm. this plant or any other controlled drug. It doesn't make sense. That whole scheduling needs to be redone by medical professionals mm-hmm. who actually know about this. But now the DEA, it again, is involved in in the can in blocking cannabis research because they hold the control of the drug supply for only for cannabis research. When, when MAPS looks at MDMA, they can buy research grade MDMA from any lab in the country. They don't go to DEA to buy their study drug. Only marijuana does the DEA want to control for Why research. Why is that? I don't understand. I mean, what is the I, it was just that was set up decades ago through the Controlled Substances Act, which was signed, you know, back in 1970. So since then, the government has decided that, you know, the DEA will, will have the sole control. And this is just, uh, you know, if you uh, recognize that the politics around cannabis, how obviously how determined the government has been to to vilify cannabis and to make it make the public afraid of it. So so certainly any research that might legitimize cannabis as medicine, you know, seems like the government needs to suppress that work. And so and there's a lot of super wealthy, powerful groups in this country that also have a vested interest in ensuring that type of research never sees the light of day. Like big pharma. Yeah, it's pharma's the obvious one, but then you've got law enforcement and private prisons and, uh, you know, all these groups. Private prisons are are very, uh, you know, determined to make sure that this research doesn't come about because they're Mm. already very upset. For example, in Arizona, we have... Uh, we've had medical marijuana law in Arizona for five years now. We have 90,000 cardholders that are legally protected from being thrown in cages now. And that's a big problem for private prisons. They Now 90,000 people that they can't put in mm. their system. Um, because, and so, so they don't, they spend a lot of money each year fighting medical cannabis laws in every new state. And they work to repeal 
medical cannabis laws in every existing state, you know, so because they, they don't want that. They don't want the, you know, they rely heavily on profits and their shareholders demand that these laws be beaten back. So that, that's, that's making my stomach turn. The whole private I know. prison concept and to think that they, they're involved in lobbying efforts against health and, and wellness. Yeah. It's just, it, it's very disturbing. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the fact that there's a, private it, prisons is very disturbing. I mean, how did, how could that be a good idea? Right? It's just un, mm, unreal. There's yeah, yeah. wow, broken, it, broken system. Yeah. So what are what are some of the things that DEA actually did to kind of stonewall this project? Well, they have through the different, you know, they have what we call the DEA mandated NIDA monopoly. So through NIDA, they're able to use the delay tactics. That's their best weapon. Mm-hmm. Is just Constantly, they can leave an application on a desk for months. Hmm. They don't have any timelines. That's the problem. So the only the reason the FDA was so easy to work with is they're on a thirty day timetable. Hmm. But none of these other agencies have any timelines, so they can take months or years to hmm. review each step. So there's different junctures where they can delay. For instance, NIDA took them twenty months to grow the cannabis that we had requested, uh, you know, any expert grower could have had cannabis grown to spec for us within three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, but NIDA takes them 20 months. At the end of that process, they still didn't have the strains that we had requested. You know, for instance, we asked for, you know, if you, first of all, if you ask for 20% THC, which is what most veterans are accessing, you know, somewhere around there, they can they have access to that kind of can of twenty to twenty five percent THC through a dispensary through the black market, but if you ask the government for high THC arm of the study, high THC the highest you can get from them is ten percent THC. Mm. So that's very frustrating. That we if you're trying to do a real world study and imitate what veterans are doing day to day, you won't be able to do that. Hmm. Um, Second, you know, we asked for a one-to-one ratio of 12% THC, 12% CBD. We ended up with something, after 20 months of trying, they ended up with a 7%, 7%. And, Hmm. you know, they're not meeting the requirements of the Controlled Substances Act, which says that they're required to provide a an inadequate and uninterrupted supply of cannabis for any of these trials. They've never really been able to do that. And you'll see that my sponsor, MAPS, is again going to be exposing this hopefully soon to try to... They've worked very actively to try to end this DEA monopoly and force the DEA to license other growers, experts, Mm -hmm. and, you know, true agricultural experts who can do the selective breeding that we need to get the strains that scientists need. and the, But the DEA isn't going to relinquish their monopoly voluntarily. That's mm-hmm. what they've proven. And we've tried all kinds of strategies through the through Congress, through Obama administration, every, every possible route to force the DEA to license other growers, and we have not succeeded. Meanwhile, other governments around the, the world 
have already, you know, seen the importance of licensing multiple growers. You know, in Canada, I think they have over two dozen mm. licensed growers for research. Israel has eight different manufacturers mm. for research. That's the way it should be. You need a variety of people all growing different right. phenotypes because we all know the plant is so complex and mm-hmm. having one grower is not suitable. We have all these unlikely supporters now, you know, who've come out of the woodwork, everyone from Grover Norquist to mm. the head of NIDA who are saying, yes, the NIDA, you know, the DEA monopoly has blocked research. It does need to end, you know, the, the mm. world, the U.S. Um, would be better off if, mm-hmm. if there were other license growers. But, you know, the government is, uh, boy, it's been a really slow. Slow to change. Yeah, yeah. So it's possible Obama would end this with the stroke of a pen before he leaves his, you know, finishes yeah, his term. Well, but let's, let's cross our fingers on that. Yeah. I haven't been a big fan of a lot of his pen strokes, but this one I would be applauding. Exactly. <laughs> Tell us about Port, Puerto Rico. You were just down in Puerto Rico, and you mentioned to me that they're making uh, medical tourism a big priority. Yeah, I think they're, you know, the financial troubles in Puerto Rico are pretty well known now. And I think they acknowledge that the cannabis tourism as a possible, you know, a destination site for mm-hmm. medically ill patients mm-hmm. is a viable solution to their, to some of their, you know, it's not going to pull them completely sure. out of poverty, but it does, I mean, they're looking at the data in other states, certainly the tax revenue generated by Colorado and Oregon has been so impressive. And that's, granted, that's on the, uh, includes recreational cannabis, mm-hmm. but medical tourism has the potential to generate similar numbers mm-hmm. if they do become a destination site. And they have all the ingredients for that. They have a, a government that is supremely supportive at all levels, which mm-hmm. is very different environment. You go even to Colorado and you see the government, the elected officials still very wary about what the cannabis programs and Mm -hmm. still reluctant to say too many positive things about it. But you go to Puerto Rico, the government has fully embraced this. They, they know that this, this is a, you know, God given natural plant that has been unfairly um, vilified for some too long and they are ready to show I I think they are going to be a model for the world about Mm -hmm. how to deal with this plant how to use it to create meaningful economic development and they you know over the next five years it's going to take a long time it's but over the next years they're going to hopefully show how you can use this as a tool to come out of very dire financial straits mm-hmm. and also really help your people and develop some of the best medicine in the world, I think. And they, they already have that track record because Puerto Rico for many decades was the home of, I don't know, you know, I think they had over 10 different major pharmaceutical manufacturers mm-hmm. and they put out some of the most important medicine we've we've seen in the last many years and even though I'm not a huge fan of big pharma mm-hmm. I I recognize that you know some of these conventional meds are necessary and right. are helpful so um so so but but unfortunately the tax credits they were offering big pharma had dropped off and suddenly they saw a mass exodus of mm-hmm. all these and that's where the financial crisis started in Puerto Rico and that's what they're hoping to fix now so mm-hmm. 
we'll see what happens. Right. Well, we'll cross our fingers in that too. So yeah. is this study, are you taking patients, uh, vets into the study yet or um, what's the status? Yeah, so we're not allowed to enroll veterans in the study until we receive study drug from the federal government. So mm-hmm. we're still waiting on the arrival of the cannabis from the DEA um, mm-hmm. from NIDA to ship this. So, um, and who we knows will... how long that'll take, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going back and forth <laughs> with them now on what exactly is there, what is the supply that's available. Mm-hmm. You have to fill out these order forms. They're in triplicate and... Uh, it's just hilarious. They're so old. You would think everything's done electronically, and no, it's all. And then they FedEx it to you. You know, it's not <laughs> like it comes in some armored truck. We're getting oh four God. kilos of cannabis and by FedEx. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, I would say as soon as we get the study drug, we'll be allowed to start screening patients over the phone. Okay. And so what we have now is just a an email address where. Veterans can drop us a note with their contact info, and we they'll get a response that says, "Hey, we'll we'll contact you as soon as we get the green light from the government," and then we can screen them. We may be able to save them a trip there because most of the vets, unfortunately, probably won't won't qualify for the study because there's an immense number of uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria right. and. And there are things that will keep, the, for instance, if they can't, if they're already using cannabis now, but and they're not able to stop for the two weeks prior to the study mm-hmm. starting, then they wouldn't be eligible for this. Mm. So there are many vets who are already using cannabis daily and, and won't be able to stop mm-hmm. because it causes them too much symptom relapse. So they, those guys wouldn't be good candidates for this. Uh, if they have, you know, we're basically looking for healthy volunteers mm-hmm. of all ages, though. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. As long as they're over 18, there's no age restriction. And, and they, have to, um, they, they have to be able to abide by a very rigorous protocol. Mm-hmm. So when we review the intensity of the protocol with them, a lot of them will probably want to drop out. Right. They won't want to proceed with it because it's not, it is compensated, but it's not lucrative by any means. Right. So right. I think most of them will, but we'll see. I'm hoping that we can start, you know, enrolling veterans by August. Mm. And that means that we would like to see veterans start emailing this. The address is just Arizona at org, And we'll give you the flyer so you can post it on sure. your website for people who want to go there and share it with their other their fellow veterans or loved ones that they know who might be interested how many folks are you looking for so we need 76 veterans total for the study which means we'll probably be screening you know five or six hundred veterans over the next two years in order to get that optimal 76 that meet all the criteria but what we're doing is we split the study between Johns Hopkins University mm-hmm. and my site in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So the veterans who live out in the Baltimore area mm-hmm. or able to drive in once a week, those are vets that um, will be optimal for that. Mm-hmm. And then anyone who lives in the Phoenix metro area are able to drive in weekly. So they'll have to have on-site presence for the duration of the study? Yeah, but luckily the process, the intensive process is only about 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Then after that, they'll be subject to a six-month follow-up, but it's it's much looser, and they don't have to be physically present. Most of it will be done over video conferencing. And 
So 12 weeks locally here that they have to, but the good news is they're not stuck in a facility. You know, they, they are allowed to take their cannabis home with them and self titrate the medicine Mm -hmm. each day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of personal diaries and all kinds of measurement Mm -hmm. tools on an iPad that they'll have Mm -hmm. to manage each day. So, um, uh, there, there's even a kind of a portable sleep study that they do for us each day, so we can see how the cannabis affects their sleep architecture. Mm-hmm. So, and are they okay. are they going to be inhaling the cannabis or or eating it or how how is it going to be administered? It's strictly a smoking delivery method. Okay. So there's for us that was a choice because this is an early phase. FDA trial, it's a phase two trial, and we wanted to, first of all, to imitate what veterans do in the real world, and most of them still choose smoking, but also because it's easier to titrate. You know, it's a fast onset of action. It dissipates fairly rapidly over a couple hours, so you get a sense of how quickly they can get relief of symptoms, if at all. We don't know. They will, but it, it will be able to measure that more easily with smoking. We have another colleagues in Canada who have chosen, who've taken our protocol and adapted it for vaporizing only. And so we're excited that um, that we'll have you know data from both sites mm-hmm. that we can compare. You know, that's cool. So, All right. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Very, very fascinating. And I really applaud you and your team for. You know, staying the course, holy cow, your persistence will pay off. And I know the vets are counting on you. And just let us know, please, what we can do to help. And we'll get the word out here if you could let us know or let me know when you get the goods from the DEA. We'll put the word out for you. And uh, That sounds great. I really appreciate you letting us share this with your listeners and and please, hopefully, you'll allow us to come back yep. down the road so we can update you on where things are at. Yeah, we will definitely do that. All right. Thank you, Dr. Sicily. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Stay focused. Appreciate you. Take care, man. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. A fascinating conversation with Dr. Sicily about medical marijuana use for PTSD. Wow. Man, I am just blown away by that. And if you are a vet who is interested, then please uh, go to the website, unbeatablemind.com slash podcast, and download their flyer and get the email that she mentioned and, um, and just submit your interest. And maybe you're just learning about this for the first time, which is uh, probably not true because you guys talk. And if you're suffering from PTSD, then smoke some pot. That'll help. <laughs> All right. There you have it. That's it for today, folks. Stay focused. Train hard. Do your practice. And have fun. Hoo-ya. Coach to find out. Hey, you know yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. Booyah. Lock and load, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UDT.